Al Jazeera podcast. Morocco is in mourning after a devastating earthquake. Desperate rescue and recovery efforts continue to try to reach people in remote areas. So how is the country coping? And can any lessons be learned? I'm Laura Kyle, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests now. And in Marrakesh, we have Suha Tahada. She's a witness and community volunteer in the affected areas. In Fez is Samir Benis, co-founder and editor-in-chief of Morocco World News. And in Southampton, we have Mohamed Mehdi Kashani, associate professor of structural engineering at the University of Southampton. A very warm welcome to all of you. Thank you for being here on Inside Story. I want to start by getting a bit more of a picture of events on Friday evening. Suha, you're there in Marrakesh. Where were you when the earthquake struck just after 11 p.m. at night and what happened? Uh, actually, I was sleeping with my baby boy in my bed when that happened. Uh, it was uh, like, you know, the whole apartment was shaking, the bed was shaking. And it was very shocking because I was sleeping. I didn't really know what was happening, but I just had the, you know, the instinct to grab my baby and to to run away. Um, and then when I I was like in just in my building in the stairs, I heard all my numbers, my neighbors screaming, and the kids. Uh, that was that really affected me when I saw kids crying and trying to find their parents. Uh, this is when I really, like, I realized, like, something big happened. Um, and then my, ba my baby was sleeping, actually, but when we went outside and we saw, like, we heard people screaming and, you know, like a big panic everywhere, he woke up and he started to, you know, to get scared. So I just told him, like, don't worry, there was a big party going on the in the city we are just having fun all together it's okay don't like you know i really tried to 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 show anything to my baby because i don't i didn't want him to panic and so yeah this this was my first reflex because it's so traumatic isn't it people in morocco aren't used to earthquakes they they may not have known what it was and certainly not what to do yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, we are not used to that. So we didn't know, like, if it was a bomb or if, if it was a natural disaster. Uh, then then people just took the car or, you know, whatever they could just escape the places where, you know, we have buildings on the street and we, we strictly went to the parks or to the parkings where people started to just, uh, you know, realize what was happening and, yeah. Many, many of us, we just slept outside. Mm. Nobody could enter to, to the to house. Mohammed, this was the biggest earthquake to hit Morocco in 120 years. Can you describe uh, the geology of it to us? Uh, yes. Uh, I think uh, most of the earthquake uh, that they occurred around the world historically is at the boundary of the tectonic plates. So, so Morocco is located at the location where it's the Eurasian plate with African plate they, they meet. So this is right at the boundary. Mm. So, so earthquake, the way earthquake happens is these boundaries, uh, this plate, tectonic plates is constantly, they're moving and, and pushing, pulling against each other. Uh, 
So when earthquake occurs, it's essentially when material between these two, when when they are these plates are pu pushing against each other, it cannot take any 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 more force. So then it, it breaks. That fracture is essentially like 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 an explosion. Is 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 that fracture releases energy, which comes to the earth and uh, and creates essentially ground shaking. So over all these years, it either happened, and suddenly after after a few few years. It happened, and uh, and that's essentially why it caused the earthquake. And if you have noticed, some of the people would say, before they actually feel the shake, ground shaking, they hear, they've heard some horrible noise coming uh, coming around, and that's essentially the sound, uh, because the sound arrives earlier before the actual mm. uh, the, the wave due to the ground shaking arrives, and that's essentially what caused the earthquake. That's interesting. And Samir, where were you when the earthquake hit? I have just come back from. Um... From Labat to see my mother, and uh, I was playing uh, at, with my 13-month-old uh, daughter. And at the moment, I want to grab a cup of, cup of water. My wife and my sister told me in Arabic, "Earthquake, uh, earthquake." I turned back immediately uh, in kind of disbelief. I didn't really realize what they were saying. Then I, uh, this moment, I looked uh, up at the chandelier. And I saw that it was uh, swinging at a face, uh, fast pace. Then, and I realized that we had just gone through uh, earthquake. Thankfully, it was not as uh, strong, but immediately my first reaction was to uh, urge everybody to go out of the house. We went to the garden, and uh, I grabbed my phone. I called my two brothers, who were also in Fez, to check on them and also ask them if they had felt. Uh, anything. They, uh, they, tell, they told me that they had also felt uh, uh, tremor and that everybody in their buildings they uh, went out of their homes and were just in the open uh, for fear of uh, any uh, aftershocks and everybody was in panic. I Then I, I called my brother in, in Arabat also told me the same and they posted uh, Facebook, uh, something on Facebook to the, to the effects that I had just felt uh, an earthquake effects. I was, to my, to my surprise, everybody uh, commented saying that they felt the same in Casablanca, Rabat, Tangier, mm. uh, Kenitra, Marrakesh, and Agadir. At that moment in time, I really, I realized that we, Morocco, that we were uh, facing a nationwide uh, earthquake. Uh, because as far as I, as I know, uh, in, um, uh, in uh, earthquakes that happened in many places uh, uh, worldwide, they are lo localized. In that, uh, in that case, earthquake, we, we live uh, uh, in Fez, which is located 570 mm. kilometers away from the epicenter. Because we, if we, we, if we look a little bit more now at the epicenter, because that was in the high Atlas Mountains south of Marrakesh, and it's where a lot of the rescue efforts are now being centered. Suhal, what do we know? of the situation in the villages that are outside of the city, some of them very remote? Uh, like the, the situation is, like the problem for people who want to help is that the, the roads are closed by authorities mm. because of course for the security, they need to, uh, to maybe evacuate uh, the new people, the people that will newly find. Uh, so they, and the roads are also like very unsafe uh, so there, there are like many drop-off points near the villages. Uh, like this, the citizens can just come there and distribute and give, give uh, you know, the water, the food, the milk, whatever they have to share. Um, so yeah, this is the only way that we can help 
from outside of the villages because the roads um, around the villages are not safe and they are like closed for our security by the authorities. Do you know if the authorities have reached everyone who needs help? No, no. Like uh, we can see on social media, uh, many people from villages. There is a village. The name is Adasil, I think, and they're asking people to. It's it's um, maybe almost three hours from Marrakesh, and they're asking like people, please come, come help us because nobody came now, mm. and we are like. We have no food, we have nothing, we just need help. But th there are like places where it's very, very hard to reach and there is like almost no network. And I think that also with the earthquake, the roads are also damaged by, you know, by the mountains. So there are places like, I think that nobody, nobody reached this place uh, for now. Samir, these are areas that are very remote and have been long ignored by the government, aren't they? These villages, the roads to them would not have been good in the first place. And one wonders what sort of services exist there if nothing is coming in from outside. What is the health, situa health service situation there like? What is the food situation like in these places? Well, uh, as far as we know from uh, what uh, uh, Moroccan media, Moroccan TV uh, said yesterday, uh, Morocco has uh, deployed all available resources to uh, come in uh, to rescue people in uh, in affected areas and to, to, to provide them with the first aid with the shelter with the food uh, water and uh, medicines uh unfortunately the, the epicenter of the of the earthquake is located in an area which is not uh, among areas that does have benefited from uh, inf infrastructure and development programs uh, from the government uh, from the Moroccan government for for uh, decades, and now and uh, it's now for it's been uh, an accessible area because uh, now we are talking about forty villages uh, that are uh, in remote areas in, in Atlas Mountains. Uh, which are not very densely populated, but are very difficult to access because now the challenge, the challenge that Moroccan government is is facing, despite all the resources, land and air resources that has uh, deployed, is, is 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 how to access uh, these remote areas because first there the, there was no uh, roads uh, to access the, the areas and now even these sinuous roads uh, in the mountains. Are, are uh, inaccessible because of the rocks that mm. fell of the cliffs because of the the, the impacts of the earthquake so uh, that's why uh, during what what you said uh, despite the efforts uh, the humongous effort that the Moroccan government has deployed uh, since early hours of the earthquake there are many people who are still uh, unreachable mm. and uh, this uh, and that's why i think that's uh, uh, more efforts needs to be done uh, from both government and all uh, people who can come, who can help these uh, people in need to okay. minimize uh, the damage and the uh, human human losses. And and Mohammed, if we look at these buildings in these villages that people have managed to reach, we can see the houses have just folded in on themselves. Can you give us an idea of how they were constructed and and how that contributed to their devastation in this earthquake? I mean, uh, I mean, what we have seen in, in, in Morocco, we have seen it previously in other earthquakes. We have seen very similar damages in Turkey, 
or a lot of other southern European countries or the Middle East. It's the same story we see it over and over and over. Uh, so these areas, the villages, they are essentially what we call them non-engineered buildings. So they are mainly masonry, and they are not really high, like one or maximum two-story building made made out of brick and clay. So they are not really earthquake designed for any any seismic load. And and essentially, with, with some some level of uh, ground shaking, they they fall down. Um, so that's uh, that's the area. I've seen some photos of some more recent ones. They are like reinforced concrete. But they were not, again, they were not in the villages, a bit more in, in Marrakesh or, or other, a bit further away from that, actually, epicenter. But again, those buildings were not uh, recently designed or built uh, based on the modern seismic design code. So, so they're the substandard buildings. So those are the main problems. And unfortunately, most of these buildings are, are located in villages. A rural area, which is very difficult to rescue them, like as you explained, other guys in, in, in this code. So, uh, so it, it needs a really a worldwide effort to actually identify and do something about these villages because it's, it's, it's over and over earthquakes happen. We don't know when it happens, but mm. but we know the areas that are earthquake prone, and we have to do something before uh, a disaster like this 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 happens, and to be prepared essentially for it. And Suha, if we look at Marrakesh, there's the old city there, the Medina, that was very badly damaged as well. Just talk us through what you've been seeing there on the streets. Yeah, like this morning I've been there and the whole Medina is completely destroyed. It's mm. uh, very painful to see that uh, because, you know, it's the heart of the city, is the, um, the history also of the city. And this is like, you know... Uh, like, you know, Mar Marrakesh, it's a worldwide city, and we know it because of its Medina. Um, so it's very, very hard to, to witness that. Yeah. Samir, when you hear that, I, I saw you looking um, particularly uh, upset by hearing that the Medina has been so badly destroyed. Should it have been retrofitted to be able to withstand a seismic event like this, given its historic significance. The problem with the Medinas like Marrakesh or Fez or Meknes or Rabat, which are the imperial cities of Morocco, is that they are very ancient uh, cities that were built uh, like, you know, 12, 11, and 10 centuries ago. And uh, the infrastructure of these buildings are, you know, are quite shaky and, and it's not as strong as the modern uh, buildings mm. because, you know, because of the passing of time. And the, uh, we, I should point out here that the Moroccan government, over the past uh, decade, two decades, has uh, you know has made uh, uh, huge efforts to restore many uh, historical buildings, whether in Marrakesh, or Fez, or other cities. And to see now that all uh, these efforts have, have come to naught is very upsetting. It's very saddening. And uh, as as Moroccan, who is very deeply attached to uh, our history and uh, proud of the of this. Uh, civilization that we inherited from our ancestors, uh, for me and for for the whole the whole Moroccan people, is very sad to see that the ancient city of Marrakesh, which is as so I said, is uh, a world is com a, a, a cosmopolitan city and very and the, at the tourist hub of Morocco. You raise an interesting point there. I just want to uh, throw that to Mohammed and ask him whether an ancient uh, building such as we see in Medina can be restored appropriately and withstand a seismic event? 
yes, they can be. I mean, uh, it be uh, against the seismic effect. They can essentially ret retrofit these these ancient monuments because they are mm. world heritage. And there are there are different methods and to do. It's not easy, but it's doable. We have the science and technology to do these things. It's all to do with the, with the cost and, and you know how the government is planning to do these things. But otherwise, in terms of the knowledge and engineering uh, and, and the science, we are well developed to actually do these things. There are methods like seismic isolation or other uh, other other methods that we we could potentially use to 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 to, to retrofit and and, re, and keep this this world heritage uh, uh, and the earthquakes. Who pays for that? Well, it's, I think it normally comes from the government. So, I mean, it, de it depends on the country. So, so, the government, whoever is responsible for to 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 for the for those uh, monuments in the, in the nation, uh, so they they normally pay for for, for these these uh, And Samir, when we look at the, the the villages, these very remote places that traditionally haven't really sort of had much government assistance, should we expect the government to put up all the money that is needed to build their homes appropriately to withstand another earthquake? Uh, before answering this, this question, just to, to, to join what uh, my colleague said about uh, restoring the ancient cities, I think uh, besides the, the budget that the Moroccan government should uh, you know, devote to restore these uh, ancient cities, because Marrakesh is a world heritage uh, site, uh, according to UNESCO, uh, UNESCO is also I think uh, we'll play an uh, instrument mm. role in helping the government restore all the ancient buildings that, that were damaged by, by the earthquake. Now, regarding the, the re reconstruction of the remote uh, villages that, that were uh, struck by the earthquake, I think uh, uh, now it is uh, incumbent uh, to, on the government to, to deploy all its resources to, to uh, re re rebuild all the damaged uh, areas and they take the take all uh, needed measures uh, so that the new infrastructure that will be built uh, in those areas will uh, will respect uh, will be uh, seismic resistance and, mm. and align with with the with the norms that that would help them withstand any uh, quake in in the future because now we, we there are lessons lessons to be learned from this quake and one of them is to uh, to take all necessary measures throughout the country to avoid that anything similar uh, happen in the in the future Suha, do you feel that the government is doing enough? Our reporter in Marrakesh uh, said that many people having to sleep outside, uh, as many people still are, haven't received any assistance, any formal assistance from the government. You're very much relying on each other to help each other. And there's a lot of anger there. Um, you know, I think, I think that the government is doing their best to help mm. uh, everyone and the most uh, needed people. Uh, because nobody, like, we didn't ex expect that. So it came by surprise. So I think it takes some days to organize, to, to try to help uh, people as much as they can. So I really think they are doing their best. I saw, I saw some food distribution, some water distribution on the streets, even uh, done by the police. So, mm. yeah, um, I think the, the government is doing their best because it just came by surprise and nobody is never, like, you know, ready ready for that, especially in Morocco, where we never really experienced that kind of disaster. Samir, yeah. a lot of, a lot of help has point. been offered from outside. 
some questions asked, being asked why Morocco hasn't formally requested assistance yet. Uh, one uh, explanation, uh, I think, is that uh, so far the government thinks that uh, it has uh, it has the expertise and uh, resources and uh, to uh, to face the aftermath of the earthquake. We have seen yesterday that the king instructed the, the military to, to, to mobilize all its land and air assets, uh, uh, air, uh, aircrafts, drones, and uh, engineering units to help uh, in the rescue operations. But whoever uh, developed uh, is the Moroccan expertise, I think that at some point it will, it will need the expertise and the help of other countries because uh, this, uh, as Suha said, is something that's come by surprise. The Moroccan government was not expect was not uh, expecting or was not ready to deal uh, with this situation overnight. Mm. And I think it will take a few days for the, the Moroccan officials to realize that there, that there will be a need for uh, foreign uh, assistance to come to pour, to pour in uh, for the, the country to be able to uh, to cope with the, uh, the aftermath of the earthquake in an efficient manner. And Mohammed, there, there have been aftershocks. Uh, how dangerous are these and how long should people expect to be feeling them for? Uh, I mean, the, the, the after what we saw, there were there was one, I think, yesterday, or this morning it was, it was mm. around four, magnitude four. So it wasn't as bad as what we saw in Turkey, but uh, they, they can go a few days, weeks, sometimes months after the event. So, and the reason we get aftershock is, the, the, as I said, below the ground, everything is in equilibrium. Once we get the fracture, so it's destabilized the area. So until everything is settled, so they still get more movement. And during the movement, we get more breakage. It could be big, like what we saw in the earthquake, a big aftershock. But what we see here is a smaller. And actually, when we get the small, more earth, uh, smaller uh, aftershock when they come in, so that's actually good because they release, release, so they reduce. They essentially avoid having a big, another big, big fracture. So they can go for for a few days, months, but but as time goes, they will reduce, uh, they will they will calm down. But we can't say for sure when they will okay. stop. So I just want to give the last word to you because this is a traumatic event, as you highlighted in the beginning, and I want to get an idea from you and from the people around you how you are coping with the psychological aspect of this. I know that some of my neighbors just left the country uh, because mm. they couldn't handle the anxiety, for example. Uh, for me, when I came back to my apartment yesterday, uh, the only thing that I wanted to do is just to, you know, to, to clean all the water because my apartment was flooded. And I also called the plumber to fix everything. I cleaned everything, maybe just to pretend nothing happened. I don't know, this, this was my way to, you know, to handle to handle the things, and then I just went to the supermarket and I, I, you know, I put as much as thing I could in my car to to go to to distribute for for the distribution uh, today. And do you that feel that the, 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 to, to handle? Do you feel that the country has really come together to deal with this? Yes, and that's very beautiful to see. Uh, there is a big solidarity between people. You know, now I feel like in the city, there is no more distance between people. We feel we are a whole big family. Uh, the supermarkets are full of people uh, trying to gather basic needs 
to to just um, live in drop off drop off points. Sorry. So yeah, even the even the diaspora uh, is trying to help as much as they can from from the outside. Uh, so yeah. It's uh, it's very beautiful to see how we can we can just uh, be kind with each other to help to help each other. Okay. Well, we certainly wish you well as you work through these difficult days ahead. Suha Taha, Samir Benes, and Mohammed Mehdi Kashani. Thanks very much for joining us here on Al Jazeera. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Abdurrahman Celik, Fungi Nguyen and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Fadzal Yahya. The programme was edited by George Joseph, Khalid Sultan, Miranda Lynn and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening and tune in on Monday for the next episode. When Truganini died, she was mistakenly declared the last Tasmanian Aboriginal. Though some say she sold out her people, in hindsight, Truganini's survival allowed future generations to learn about the near annihilation of the Aboriginal people of Tasmania. I'm Charles Dance. Listen as I trace the life of Truganini. Hindsight by Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.